Um, so I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, there are some romantic moments in this story, and I would say that the anthropomorphic animals are mm. rendered in a certain style consistent with what I know about something else. So Furries? I feel like I, I have to ask, yeah, is this a part of or has it, to your knowledge, been adopted by furry culture? Well, Penn, you're assuming quite a bit about what we know about furry culture, I have to tell you. I have I assume no, the I, worst of society, so I'm just going to say yes. So I don't think people talk enough about the real meaning of Easter. A day off work. Uh, no. I was going to say zombies or bunny rabbits. Oh, that's too bad. I hate bunny rabbits. They're unaccountable and have heart attacks when they're threatened. They are the true cowards of the animal kingdom. How about a book about samurai bunny? A bunny with Bushido? Let's give it a try. I'm Roman Segel. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two dudes who will never be satisfied with the amount of candy eggs we receive. I actually don't want any candy eggs. In elementary school, I'd leave them at the bottom of my backpack and they turned to stone. But that was okay, because we always had candy to give out for Halloween. <laughs> this week, the samurai spring continues, as does the adorable anthropomorphism, as we sit down to read Usagi Yojimbo, Stan Sakai's epic following the rabbit Ronin Miyamoto Usagi. Seems ambitious since the comic started in 1984 and is ongoing today. Uh, good point. This series jumped from publisher to publisher during its almost 40 years of existence. It originated as an indie before it went to Fantagraphics for 10 years, and for the last two, it's been published by IDW. But fuck them all. Let's just read the collected works published by Dark Horse Comics from 1997 to 2019. That's more than 20 years of comics. Yes, and it's only nine phone books. Let's devote our life to it. Okay, how about just the good stuff? I'd say it's all good stuff. Wyatt's friend of the pod, Penn Genthner, who is our returning expert on all comics related to long, pointy things. So, Penn, how much of this award-winning comic epic should we be reading? Basically all that we can get our hands on. Or at least the first three collected by Dark Horse Comics. So our protagonist is the rabbit ronin Miyamoto Usagi, loosely based on the famous Japanese swordsman Miyamoto Musashi, who we've briefly covered in our past discussion of the, mon of the manga Vagabond. Uh, Vagabond. Anyway, while all the characters of Usagi Yojimbo are drawn as cartoon animals, the comic is anything but a kid-friendly epic. The overall tone of Usagi Yojimbo is more serious and reflective, mixing extended storylines with short and sweet tales steeped in Japanese culture and folklore, with settings, clothing, architectured weapons drawn with a faithful detail to the Bushido period of Japanese history. The book has received numerous awards, including the Eisner, the Parents' Choice Award, and even among Rolling Stone's 50 Best Non-Superhero Graphic Novels. 
Joining Usagi's epic trek along the warrior's path, we find him protecting villages from bands of assassins, reluctantly engaging in blood money duels, hunting for his stolen swords, finding an ancient sword that could plunge Japan into a civil war, hanging with a hard-boiled village detective and your usual array of flying ninjas, mercenary rhino, dinosaur tokus, and assorted oni and demon masks. Don't forget giant spiders. So guys, what'd you think of Usagi Yojimbo? I loved it. Yep, podcast over. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Everyone agrees. I loved it too. It's so fucking good, man. I think everybody needs to read this comic. It it just made me feel happy. Most yeah, comics, I when I you ask if I would recommend them to somebody, I would qualify it with like maybe for a specific audience. But I would like introduce somebody to the graphic novel form with this. Provided yeah, exactly. they're over the age of eight or nine. Well, <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. I did win the Parents' Choice Award, though. It is about, it, these, it, parents, it, these parents didn't recognize how much fucking death there is. There, you know what, though? There is a lot of death. It's it's weird because this book deals with some ser- with some seriously adult themes. Like there's, you see somebody being crucified and skewered with spears, which is like a, this really horrible moment. But at the same time, but it's an it animal, so it doesn't matter. Well, it's also it's also kind of like a cartoon animal. So even when characters die left and right, and they die early and often, I, I actually I remember this one. There's this one episode where this kid, you know, he's wants he's a wannabe samurai, and then a corpse who's just been killed falls on him and he freaks out and it's a horrible moment when you describe it but the way it's illustrated it's actually kind of funny so in a way usaki toes the line between being a comic that is geared for a younger audience but also being a comic that really could appeal to people who are not interested in comics for kids it's both really adult but also you know really suited for i don't want to say children but for for younger readers well it reminds me of two things Gene Lun Yang, it kind of, he hooks you in with the kind of cartoony sensibilities, but it's some pretty serious shit that's going down thematically and even like with the action of the characters. And I'm also reminded of Super Nintendo Mortal Kombat, right? Where there is death. I mean, they are slashing and gutting people, but there's no, I mean, part of it is black and white. You're not really seeing blood splattered everywhere. Remember in SNES Mortal Kombat, it was like uh, white blood. So it looked like sweat or something else, but Mm. One thing like, I actually well, I wonder what that something else is. <laughs> um but one thing I really loved, and I don't know if this is a manga trope or this is a Stan Sakai original, is when someone died, the word mm. balloon would be like the skull and crossbones. <laughs> like I'm gonna start using that. It's amazing. This book uh, introduced me to my favorite a new onomatopoeia, which is Yark as a death rattle. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was so, this book was, we really need to make sure we're not gushing, but like, it, it was a long, slow burn. It took a while to get through these phone books, but it was refreshing to read, right? I mean, it had enough action. It had enough cinematic sensibilities. And something I read, you know, in the Dark Horse editions, in between every major book, there's, um, kind of a forward by someone super famous in the comic industry, like Will Eisner, uh, et cetera. And these are like some of the biggest names in comics who are like gushing about it. But the level of sensibility to their gushing, like one thing someone said in one of the early forwards was that Sakai doesn't do narration. Everything is seen through the eyes of the characters. And everyone's saying that's actually harder to do, but he just does it in a masterful manner. And I mean, I wonder if, you know, we said in the intro, we're reading peak Usagi. Like we haven't read the first like 15 years of Usagi. Like I am genuinely curious to go back and start from the very, very beginning with the Fantagraphics things. But 
this guy's at the top of his game. It's it's not even funny. Yeah, I think what he does is really difficult because as first off, I mean the fight scenes, he just does them all very very fluidly and you always understand even when there's so many people like coming at Usagi with swords, you always kind of understand what is happening. But even beyond that, just at the level of the writing, like we we talk a lot about the violence of Usagi, but there's also uh, an emotional resonance too. Like they actually address the consequences of that violence. For instance, there's that ninja clan and they have that saying, a ninja's what role in life is to die sort of thing. It's Mm -hmm, like this mm -hmm. comic book sort of platitude. And Usagi is talking to a female ninja and she's like, yeah, you can't really believe that. She said, I have to, or I will like fall apart with grief. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just, incredibly powerful and it happens so fast and just it's just in this such this abbreviated space where suddenly you realize what all these deaths mean to her and the way she uses that sort of statement to ward off having to face the emotional toll of the deaths of her family and her colleagues and i feel like sakai does this throughout usaki yojimbo where there's actually like these really deep emotions and complicated emotions that are being expressed very simply and succinctly. And that makes him so powerful. And, you know, it it, it seems easy the way Sakai does it because he does it in just a few words, just a few panels. But I think it's actually like really hard to do. It's almost sort of like poetry, the way he's able to express these emotions in such a small, compacted space. Every page is also cinematically interesting. It's not talking heads. It's these beautifully framed images of whole villages then it cuts Mm. to two people walking and there's a diversity of images just from panel to panel yeah i mean the amount of research and i I read some of the footnotes in the back of each of the books like sakai's notes from every story i love those yeah it's just like the guy poured into historical research on what would be an accurate setting and you know if you're reading a comic you kind of fly past it it's all but all the world building is so accurate because it you know, it's funny. On the surface, it's like, oh, wow, everything was so great in the villages and the people were happy. But it's also a stark reality of life was shitty and life was hard, but it was a simple life, right? He spends a lot of time, you know, because Usagi is wandering from village to village. And these are poor villages. And, you know, there are some articles we sent about Ghost of Tsushima and how the glorification of and the propagandizing of the Bushido period and the samurai legends. But in reality, what Usagi does really well, I was thinking about this pen in literally the 20 minutes before we recorded, was Usagi actually shows all the shit for what it was. And Usagi is the exception, not the norm. Most of the villagers don't like samurais. They don't like ronins. They're corrupt. They're going to rob. They're just going to get into fights. They're just going to fuck shit up. And Usagi is the exception to that rule. I mean, he is our hero, so of course he is more virtuous. But Sakai doesn't pull the punches on how shitty society was back then. One of the things that I really appreciated about this book uh, is, or these books, is their depth. And in particular, the first story of Volume 3 has the peasants outsmart Usagi, the bandits, and local <laughs> authorities. Um, I love that. I love that con, by the way. I, I didn't see it coming at all, actually. I didn't see it coming either. at all. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. And actually, it's really clever the way he gets Usagi to pay him for the privilege of being the peasant's bodyguard. <laughs> 
Right after Usaki is trying to get payment from them. It conveys that depth of like every every person depicted in these stories mm. has a uh, a reality to their existence. They're they have a full story that goes on outside of what Usagi and his his friends have yeah. going on. Yeah, it's like oh, I, when I was at, at that doing the MFA program, I forgot who it was. Somebody said, you know, the secret to kind of like writing really compelling characters is that every character believes that they are the main character mm. and i think that's very true with with usaki yojimbo you you get the sense of this of the depth of people's lives even if they're not the focal point of the story you know these these people have their own lives their own agendas um and their own wants and needs and you know usaki just happens to be passing by at a particular point in time and most of them have this authority and set and like force of will that uh, they totally are the protagonist of their own story. Yeah, and it's kind of um, you know, the best Star Trek was kind of Planet of the Week, right? And in that Planet of the Week, the characters, to your point, Ben and Ryan, are fully realized. They have existences and motivations. And they're the most interesting, and you're just seeing it through the eyes of the crew of the Enterprise or Usagi and Gen. Jen, I'm not sure. And that's what made it great. It was Planet of the Week. It's like, okay, every once in a while, you do go on these kind of grass cutter level quests. You've got the flying ninja bats, whatever the fuck those guys are. But for the most part, <laughs> it's it's each of these are snapshots into something that was happening in the period. And I, that was the beautiful part of it. I actually really like like Jen. Like when you when I we were first introduced to him, probably not the first time Usaki readers are introduced to him, but for the intensive, you know, dark horse, the first time we're introduced to him is that kind of crossover with the Ninja Turtles. And that's probably like the worst episode of the entire. I was really turned off by that. By that yeah, right. It's that. sort of like, is this what we're going to do? Is this, it's, you know, cause like turtles had like a certain tone. It really kind of like our, our, our interest in it was really kind of the nostalgia as a well-written comic. It's not quite there. And so you kind of think, okay, maybe that's what Usaki Yojimbo is. It's just like the turtles, except, you know, a rabbit with samurai. Yeah. Yeah. With samurai. And, you know, you see Jen, them team up with Jen and Usaki. And then later on, as we, as the relationship with Jen deepens, it's actually really, really funny. The sort of vaguely antagonist the friendly but sort of antagonistic relationship that those two have the way usagi gets kind of fed up with jen's self-centeredness the way jen is sort of fed up because usagi never always doesn't always think of the bottom line you know i kind of I, I love when they're that that first grass cutter episode where you know Yusaki's like, we have to return the sword. The fate of the nation could be could be at stake. And Jen's like, but are we going to get paid? Why are we doing this if we're not going to get paid? <laughs> and I thought that was just, it's just like, it's just like these, this beautiful moment as these two characters are rushing off and they have got the two different agendas. But of course, at the end, you know, Jen is actually, you know, he, he sticks with, he sticks with Usagi, despite the fact that he's not, he's not getting, he's not getting any money for it. Well, it's, you know, by the, at the beginning, it's, you feel like you're just watching archetypes kind of play out, right? Yeah. The noble samurai, the the relentless, like Han Solo mercenary. And like Star Wars, you know, by the end of volume three, you're really rooting for their friendship and loving watching the two rib each other. And they team up, you know, when they take those opposing teams with the rival gangs, right? Like you're just watching this play out and their personalities still shine as wanting to make money, being willing to give up the money. In fact, by the end, Jen secretly like gives away his money and Usagi's like re reluctantly he's like I need to get paid guys so uh, you watch you watch the characters grow together with each other 
as a result of being with each other on these journeys, intersecting journeys for so long. And even even Jay, the evil the evil cat, you know, kind of shows up initially as sort of like this evil cat wizard, not quite sure what his game is. But and then they pair him with this little girl. And that's when it gets kind of, and, and there's just this odd it's dynamic like the professional. between the two of them. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like, it's like the professional. And she kind of has this sort of, you know, she, she's basically, Jay is basically all that she knows. But one thing I really like is, you know, there's this banter between the two of them, you know, where she's like, oh, where are we going, uncle? And Jay's like, oh, we're going to hell. And she's like, oh, <laughs> oh, you're so funny. He's like, yeah, that's me. I'm a comedian. You know, there's this sort of like dry <laughs> sarcasm to that relationship, which didn't come out before when he just seemed like this evil entity. But now you give him this little girl that, you know, he's, you know, for some reason, he's kind of like shepherding. And it it creates this, I don't want to say it's like a deep relationship, but it creates way more depth than there was when he was just sort of like the shadowy villain in the background. And Certainly, made- there's a... There's a depth of the little girl too. She becomes complicit in his project mm. when she's like part of a trap. There is a growing complicity to her where she's, you know, initially she's the victim. She runs after Jay because, you know, her family's been killed and he's all that she has. And then, and then, you know, later on, you kind of see this growing attachment to him. Even, and, and even, even she becomes inured to the violence. Like I remember when she's like looking for him and she's following the trail of corpses with twisted faces. And she's like, oh, he's here. I know he's here. So it's just, it's something horrifying about that, but also really, really funny. You know, it's as far as recurring villains go, I didn't mind the demon spirit thing because later on it possesses the auntie, right? Yeah. But I, I honestly found like the tension and the conflict with existing relationships just way more interesting than yeah. any of like the, the big ethereal villains. Like specifically, I think it was... Uh, Grasscutter 2, right? The Grasscutter 1 is the journey to get the sword and all the politics and machinations of why people want the sword to restore the emperor versus the, the shogun. But Grasscutter 2 was the journey to get rid of the sword. And you find Usagi at odds with his friends on what the right decision for Japan is. And I just I found the stakes of that a lot more interesting. I found the conflict a lot more appealing than oh the evil demon or oh and i mean you did have the evil flying bat ninjas so that was cool but the stakes were higher because it was like societal versus like demons and shit like that well i, I liked it all and I, I for me that's kind of what kept it interesting because i never you know because sometimes it's a story of political intrigue other times right. the the story that Stan Sakai writes is detective story. He does he does a couple of very interesting detective <laughs> yeah. stories. Sometimes they're like little folklore tales or anecdotes, or he's telling mythology, or he's telling some sort of like horror show where Usaki has to fight a ghost or giant spiders or whatever. And other times they're like moral parables. And then with the case of the grass cutter stories, yeah, it's about responsibility. And it's a much deeper story. But I like the fact that, you know, he, he's not always kind of like trying to do that very serious tone. He's, he's mixing it up. And even between like Grasscutter 1, when, you know, after he retrieves a sword, there's a whole bunch of different types of adventures that Usaki Yojimbo has. And then does a bunch of short stories and then kind of goes back to, goes, goes back to, okay, he returns to the temple. And now, okay, we got to return the sword. Yeah. Like the Mac, the macro pacing, it's like, yeah, here's a long story here, you know, paying the dividends of all the subplots and here's a fun parable, or here's a flashback to cute young uh, Usagi learning a lesson. In fact, um, as I was finishing volume three last night, I was sitting in bed and I had like a laugh out loud moment and I had to like read it back to my wife. And, you know, 
it's a retelling of one of Aesop's fables of like the pond spirit and like the three axes, right? And, you know, the lesson that we're supposed to believe is, you know, honesty is rewarded. <laughs> In the sense, I was like, no, you idiot. You can't chop wood with a golden axe. <laughs> the peasant froze to death for the winter. The moral is be wary of gifts from he who bears a grudge against you. It's just like, this guy's really fucking good. I'm sorry. I just, he, he, every, every moment was enjoyment. Every time he changes tone, it's, it's exciting. I, I love the the ancient myths or the the visual essays on sword making or seaweed farming. Oh yeah, oh that was really interesting. Yeah, it's, I, right. He he almost kind of like throws in a National Geographic special <laughs> in the middle of it, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. But it's all kind of. But you know the thing is, it's also part and parcel of the story he's telling. It's not like he's just talking about seaweed farmers for no reason. It's actually a deep part of the story. And of course, you know, there's a big political conflict that that comes from all of this, which is also kind of really interesting. The fact that these people are fighting over the right to kind of farm seaweed in specific areas. But, but, you know, I think what it might have been, it's and this is probably the brilliance of Sakai's researching. He's probably researching something and he saw a footnote about something in seaweed and he went down a rabbit hole. So pun intended, <laughs> and decided, you know what, there's an interesting thing here. Let's just set it all around ancient seaweed farming let's let's put all the drama around that and i i venture to say that probably happened more often than not because and again to his credit you know sakai's committed to putting out whatever this is like monthly issues so he's got to like a podcast you got to find something to talk about every single week or every single month so why not talk about seaweed well, farmers? Well, you know, he does. There's there are times when he he tells a one off story that comes back into play, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm honestly curious whether he knows, you know, characters that he that, for instance, the general, right? The general who becomes a farmer, and you know, he he his his army's defeated. He vows revenge, and he's going to lay low as a farmer for a while. But you know, he he meets a woman. He has children. He loses some of his children. He farms the land. And then years later, his former men, you know, his former brothers in arms come back to him and say, yeah, now is the time to strike. And he's like, no, nah, I'm I'm a farmer. I'm I'm, and that, that seems to be the end of the story, except it's not. He comes back later on in a very interesting scenario to, to serve his enemy. Right. To to act, he his enemy the the son of his sworn enemy comes to him wounded and he has a choice: do I kill the kid or do I do I not? And in the, yeah, at the end he decides to okay I'm gonna I'm gonna help you, and that's all, that's part of the bigger epic of Grass Cutter. It's one of those stories where I'm wondering did did Stan Sakai know that this character was gonna come back and not only just come back but come back in a very and, and be placed in yet another moral quandary if he didn't have a specific plan and plan for it he definitely took note of i'm planting a seed here that i can come Mm. back to this will definitely bear fruit because there's a rich story there well i think that's part of the work of again what you guys said earlier it's like every character is fully realized whether or not you use them or not and it could be i bet that guy was really good Wow, people really seem to like that story. I got to figure out Grasscutter too. Oh, it'd be cool if we brought him back. And I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit glib, but I think because he's so good at all of this work, he has fertile ground from which he can kind of derive the future stories and the future arcs from. Yeah, I, it's, 
I, I kind of I, that kind of make, that makes sense to me. Right? He he has all of these rich characters, and it's actually kind of like a really pleasant surprise when you see somebody come back who you assumed was just sort of like a one off. Like they were in a little fable, a little a short story, and suddenly you see them again, and it almost feels like a reward to be you know for being a loyal reader to recognize this to recognize those characters again and to see the continuation of their of their stories one thing that does not reward loyal readers is repeated definitions for japanese terms if you're if you're like 1200 pages into this and you don't know what a ronin or sake is i you might be beyond help there's maybe two, maybe three moments in the three volumes we read where we got to see a nice color excerpt, or when you get to the end of the book, you get to see the covers. Mm-hmm. And look, I love black and white comics, you know, but to see this in color just blows my mind. It's kind of like Bone. Like, I read Bone in the original black and white, and now I buy all my nephews and friends' kids, you know, the color editions, because they're beautiful. And Usagi Yojimbo in color is amazing. And I mean, I don't know if the new reissues are in color, but, you know, just to see a handful of short stories in color, to see these covers, some of these covers are poster worthy, like the kite flying ones in the back of volume three, just beautiful. And so, again, the the volume of work couldn't have come out if, if Sakai was kind of coloring these, but my God. The, ID, the IDW run is in color. Oh, wow. Okay. But I, I know, actually, I do agree. There's actually one, one episode where he's trying to identify the white lizard, yeah. and then he keeps seeing this green lizard. But because <laughs> it's in black and white, they're all white lizards. <laughs> I actually agree. I, I actually think you know, fantasy time. But I actually would really love to see these done with like watercolor. That would look yeah. so freaking but, cool. But but one thing I wonder, so our perception and our love of this, right? And and I think it would retain because, you know, the cartoon, but it's a pretty bloody story. And I made the joke earlier, you don't see the blood or you ignore the blood. Like, and I actually don't know if blood is drawn, like physically as he is drawing a sword and like, you know, fucking people up as Usagi is, is completely there's, capable of doing. There's one scene where this guy, where the guy's punching the pig, the boar, and then his hands gets bloody. That 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 was yeah, actually, but I'm not... I remember thinking that was the first time I saw I actually saw blood. I think sometimes you see it leaking out of people. But but you know what I'm talking about. Like I know, it's, yeah. You Usagi's this noble warrior, and it's easier to be on his side because I mean I tried to actually Google Usagi body count because it's fucking intense, man. This guy is like <laughs> just working his way through Japan, him and his buddies. And and again, he's the hero. The villains are much worse. Yeah. You're right. I'm it's, flipping through this now. There's no, there's no blood. Not even in like pools on the ground. It's a high body count, but curiously bloodless epic. But I think also that, like, even when characters die, and you know, characters that you care about die, they always kind of have that little skull in the bird balloon thing going. Yeah. And it's, I don't want to say it sanitizes it because you do sometimes feel that emotional pull of oh, this character. You know, when when Lady Maple died, it was just like oh fuck. Yeah, but 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 to be fair. The characters you care about are worth something when they die. But yeah, all yeah. the ba- all the bandits, like there's a lot of bandits <laughs> or or shittier samurai who just don't make it from you know through Usagi's blade. And so what's, those guys have those guys have worth too? Yeah, so what's I guess what's what's your take on on that? The fact that it's incredibly violent but incredibly bloodless. Well, at this time in Japan, it talks about his sources here. Post-Battle of Sekigahara, there were disbanded armies that roamed around as as bandits. And yeah, living morally compromising 
lives. And a lot of those folks are who are being depicted um, in this series. It's it's hard to have sympathy for somebody who makes a living preying on other folks. Would it have had more resonance if you saw a little bit more of the consequences of the vi- Well, I don't want to say consequence because you see, do see bodies, but see more of the visceral consequences of the violence. Probably. There are some bandits with more narrative depth and and you do have sympathy for some of their conditions. But yeah, more gruesome depiction of the vi- the violence that this is rife with would change my perception of it. I mean, to compare to to Vagabound, which we've only read one volume of, who Usagi is loosely based on, there is a more visceral reaction to the violence in that book because it is this hyper-realism, Jim Lee-looking manga, right? Whereas, and again, it, it's it's the neat trick of anthropomorphized animals. Half the time, I don't know what animal I'm seeing other than the bunny and the rhino, right? Like, Are they panthers? What kind of animals Bear, are these? Cat, kind of, yeah. <laughs> Something with ears at the top of its head. Yeah. but And I think that's the fun of the book, right? That's It lets you let your guard down and and kind of take the macro swaths of what was going on in society and the honor and the good guys and the bad guys. It is a comic book. It feels like a comic book. It's not a superhero comic book, but it might as well be because it's good versus evil. It just happens to take place in the Bushido period. Yeah, but unlike a superhero comic book, people actually die. There's there's consequences yeah. to the there's, violence. There's consequences. There's a narrative, right? You never... Well, to be, you know what's interesting? Because it's episode of the week, planet of the week, one thing remains constant. Usagi never dies. For the most part, his right. friends never die. So... Even though all these other characters are fully realized, they are disposable. And you don't change the status quo of Usagi. And again, haven't read the full thing, um, but Usagi is the wandering ronin. And you know he's always going to win. You know he's never going to lose. And I'm not complaining because I really like this guy. But it's you kind of know your friends are always going to be okay. There was a dream sequence that I didn't realize was one in which Gen was killed and mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. he had the the skull uh thought bubble over his head and that freaked me out a lot that's interesting you do you had that you had that reaction because like you, you really I, he i expected that to not be a character who dies he might or might not ultimately in this series but that it changed the the way that this narrative what i expected of the narrative in a way that like game of thrones might have right right yeah, I you know I I'm still not on the, not sure how I feel about the fact that there's you know not a lot of visceral violence. I I don't I I personally don't know if the book would be improved. But I mean there you do see people getting their heads chopped off. There's one incident where he chops like somebody's head in half. It just yeah. you know it's it, and hands it's, off it's as still, well. Hands yeah. off as well. It still it still looks a little bit. I mean there gosh there's I I, I think the the one episode that was the most violent explicitly was the one where noodles gets executed mm-hmm. they put him on a mm-hmm. cross mm-hmm. and they stab him mm-hmm. through and you you see that and actually that was a horrifying moment that was a horrifying moment for the characters who are watching it and that horror was really expertly conveyed by by stan sakai i mean you feel the helplessness of watching this poor guy being killed for a crime he didn't commit and you also kind of see the terror on the guy's face not knowing why he's being being killed and so i i guess you know that was a violent moment 
but but, but, but the, it's, the but it was deployed the heart, judiciously. The that was my the heartbreak of that. The heartbreak of that moment has more to do with the the wrongful crime, right? The wrongful accusation, right? Because but again, it's it's not it's a horrible it, way to die, though. I mean, what, what happens it, to him is a horrible. It's a horrible, and it is so undeserved by this by this character, and it is one of the more graphic ends that anybody yeah. meets in the series. But but again, it's the consequences or the lead up to the death, the context of the death. It's what's horrifying. Yes, uh, well, the, the, the of actual death is, is the actual death is pretty horrifying, also, man. I mean, yeah, both are are equally bad. And I, here's here's what I would say though. I think. And I agree to a degree, but I think it was lessened because I'm kind of numb to all the death in the bloodletting in this book because it's const- constantly happening, right? So yes, it's a crucifixion. It's a little bit more violent, but and the consequences, the the character context was very upsetting. Yeah, I, but I, I, I and that's what, that's what worries me about this book. That's so the, the, full stop. Like I, I'm going back on something I said earlier. Like I want to buy this book for all of my friends kids and my nephew and stuff who are of age of 10 11 to read it but is this sanitized video game violence like I, I it's really so good as an adult i love reading it but at the same time and death is real but because it's cartoon animals and look as a society we're okay to kill animals for our food for our pleasure whatever and does the anthropomorphizing like make it okay. I I just don't think you can make that broad statement across the board. Like sometimes, yes, when when Usagi is slashing twenty bandits, okay, that's sort of that's sort of like the stuff out of Kurosawa cinema. Um, but that scene where he is being killed, where where Nudos is being executed, I mean, that is, I think, Stansakai made a deliberate decision to be like, okay, I'm going to show this. It is going to be kind of the worst thing that you're going to see for a while, and right. I think it was a judicious depiction of extreme violence in that moment other times when usaki is just kind of breezing through with his sword yeah it's a little bit less consequential so I, I, he's picking his moments is what i'm saying there is a narrative with a, a tiny little rabbit orphan who is yeah he's orphaned by war or brigandage or whatever and usaki like solves his immediate problem but he continues on his way not knowing whether that kid is going to make it or not and i think that has that has an emotional weight that that maybe justifies the depiction of or the lack of depiction of violence Mm -hmm. um yeah it's you know did you read the will eisner introduction because initially he 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 admitted he was prejudiced against usaki yojimbo because he didn't under he didn't you know they're they're animals and he didn't think it looked serious and then he started reading it and he realized it was actually a very serious serious book dealing with very interesting themes and i think maybe that's the way you kind of draw kids into into a lot of these these moral lessons because they are there right you know there's there's I won't say with every story, you know, Sakai is trying to tell you something, but with a lot of them, you know, he's trying to show you the consequences of these actions. And so it's show don't tell. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think if he were to make it really graphic, it would just, it would be a, a much different sort that, of and, book. And that's not what I'm looking for. It's just, is there a risk, right? Like I think a mm. mature reader and we're all mature readers. We're we're long of the tooth, are so we, to speak. Are we mature? I don't know. Well, here's what I'd say: we're more fully formed as we're more fully formed. We've read more. We've seen more. 
were adults. And so I can see through it. The danger is, and I, it's not dangerous. This is good. This is good, necessary reading. The question is, do you just breeze past the story and the violence and the coolness, or do you really kind of take away the things that the the kind of the weight in the context of the life that that Sakai is showing? And because to your point, it it pulls you in. It's similar to Will Eisner. Oh, these are just fun bunny rabbits. You know, Jean Lun Yang. This is just super cartoony and fun. And it it's the ability to kind of sneak in the lesson and make the medicine go down. Yeah, which, I mean, which is necessary. I don't think Sakai is sneaking anything in here. I think it, it's all. Deliberate. I don't think he's trying to teach life lessons per se. They just happen to be here. Well, no, you have this super moral figure walking through a really fucked up ancient world, a historically accurate fucked up world. And how would this super moral heroic being who is immortal, right? He's not a superhero. He's just really good with the sword. And, you know, but he makes hard choices. And that's the lesson. That's the lesson. It's just like walk your life the way what would Usagi do? That's that's what I, I, I ask. Every time I have a, of a moral dilemma. For all the complexity I, of the story, he is a mostly a simple character with, with one mode. Yeah, he, well, he, what, you know he's going to do the right thing, but he's still interesting. There is this tendency for sometimes these characters who are just morally good to be, oh, I don't know, kind of cardboard cutout type characters. And Usagi isn't. I'm not sure like how Stan Sakai kind of gets over that, that hump. I mean, maybe it's just... Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just because he seems he's just kind of so unassuming and humble for the most part. He just kind of wants to wander the countryside and just like enjoy the enjoy the scenery. Shit. That's Um, what I want to do, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what we all want to do. It's it's something that kind of makes him like so relatable to all of us. He's just like super chill. I don't want to do any do any harm to anybody. I don't want to pick a fight. Oh, I'm so sorry. I accidentally bumped into you. Man, the cherry blossoms look beautiful today. I mean, that's kind of like all of us because we're all old and lazy and we just want to chill. And I, I feel like that's kind of Usaki Yojimbo. One thing I couldn't reconcile, you know, in the first couple volumes, I loved the flashback editions with cute little Usagi learning a lesson from his sensei. And later on, and, you know, there's this impending duel with the sensei and a, the sensei's rival that I guess will happen in further out volumes that we didn't cover. But the sensei drops a couple of things or people are like, oh, there's there's a moment in the modern time of the plot line where the sensei is talking to his next like uh, bunny protege. And he's like, oh, yeah, Usagi, he's so hot headed. He rushes into battle. And I'm like, that's not the dude I've been following for the last couple of volumes. He's he's a pretty chill guy. So, and maybe the sensei, maybe that's setting up a conflict where, you know, the sensei doesn't realize how much Usagi has grown from that little bunny. I think it's, it's part of uh, a narrative trope for like these action adventure stories with younger characters, like in, I don't know, the Star Wars Clone Wars, uh, characters are constantly admonished for taking risks they shouldn't in battle and stuff like that. I, I think you definitely see that with the younger Usagi, like for instance, he picks that fight with that girl when he bumps into her. And obviously, you know, we see grown up Usagi accidentally bumping into people and he's much more humble. So, certainly, like what the sensei saw of Usagi Yojimbo is not who Usagi Yojimbo is today. Because you're right, he's, he's not, he's not as hot headed and he's not just going to rush off into battle. But we definitely saw the younger Usagi much more willing to engage in, in fisticuffs in order to kind of resolve differences. So I got to ask a question and it's not 
the normal question, because I think we would all recommend this to someone. And I already forgot what my other question would have been. Who are you going to recommend it to? No. Oh, fuck. Oh, actually, here's my question. Would yeah, we get a bunny as a pet? Well, be- before I ask that, before <laughs> I ask my next stew? to final question, did I tell you my uh, rabbit bed and breakfast story ever? No. Was it- so th- it's not that this needs to be cut from the podcast. It's just not relevant to the podcast. Back in the day for my birthday, we drove up to Niagara Falls because I'd never been. This is somewhere in my 30s. And we stay at this bed and breakfast called the Buddy Bed and Breakfast or some shit like that. And we get there late at night and the next morning we're like, oh, that's really weird. You know, we're going to the car to get some stuff and there's bunnies all over. That's why they're called the bunny bed and breakfast. And we asked the other couple, why is it called the bunny bed and breakfast? And the couple was like, oh, these guys harvest bunnies for all the Italian restaurants in town. (laughs) (laughs) Did you go to one of those Italian restaurants? At the time, I didn't eat red meat. So, no, I didn't. Uh, So, before I ask the next to last question, which I need to remember. Yes, I remember. And you can cut this part out. Are are there any other things you guys want to talk about about Asagi? Because I can keep gushing. So, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, There are some romantic moments in this story. And I would say that the anthropomorphic animals are Mm. rendered in a certain style consistent with what I know about something else. So, I feel like I I have to ask... Yeah, is this a part of, or has it, to your knowledge, been adopted by furry culture? Well, Pam, forty assuming... forty years of comics. Oh, uh, yeah, come on. You're assuming quite a bit about what we know about furry culture, Pen. I have to tell you, <laughs> I have. I no... assume the I... worst of society, so I'm just gonna say yes. I would imagine probably Bugs Bun, the female Bugs Bunny, and Space Jam is probably more of a furry. Is more furry bait than anything in Usaki Yojimbo. What I was actually wondering is like, you know, because like some of Usaki's kind of quasi-romantic interests seem to be like cats. So could they get together and what would happen? Like what would they what would what would be the results of their of their trip? I come back to I, I come back to Star Trek rules. Like if it's Planet of the Week and these are all kind of alien cultures, like it's fine. Like, you know, yeah, sure, why not? But so, you don't so, see so a lot would of would it be would it be, would it be so, yeah uh, but you well, know some of those a- animals are unidentifiable so, so ah, there you result. go yeah his his name is Miyamoto Usagi so his family ma- name is Miyamoto his given name is Usagi his given name is Rabbit so maybe in this universe it's it's just sort of random what you turn out to be the the turtles actually uh, the worst episode the one with the ninja turtles they actually address that head on don't they kind of in a, kind of I, they don't actually t- mention the mating situation but they do kind of I, start to address like what how does this how does this whole scenario work and then they kind of well, move on in, and what's interesting is the animals the primary animal other than the turtles the time they have to find them from the pond to to bring the spirits of the ninja turtles <laughs> into the universe but the only animal you ever really see other than horses right, that they're riding around on playing out of the ape style is the little dinosaur creatures. And I guess I, I wonder if that was an intentional choice because like, well, every animal's fair game to be like an anthropomorphic character. So we got to make all the other animals little dinosaurs. Yeah, right. Dino- <laughs> I mean, dinosaurs could be, I mean, they, 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 have, they make the snakes. And there's snake ninjas in this, which I, which I love having snake ninjas, by the way. I love yeah, that it was cool. It, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't even, you know, he's in this little little gi, and he was like, it's like a little snake gi. He's, but he's not he... a ninja. No, he's not a ninja, though. Oh, what, he's was a... he? what was What was well, he? was like some sort of snake he, warrior he... creature. He's a snake, sh- he's a snake shogun. 
Okay, sorry, minor, minor, sorry. I hey, ninjas live for death. Me. Okay, come on, hang on. What, ninjas what, what, like a completely was he, different he was, class. What, what was he exactly? He was a what? Well, he was like a warlord. I don't think he was the head of a ninja clan, was he? Yeah, he was. It, the heads of the ninja clan reported to him. He is an. He might be a ninja. Kind then. of like head ninja sort of thing. Whatever. He's like a snake warrior, which is awesome. A sninja. A sninja. A sninja. He's a sninja. Sninja. That's that's how it's pronounced. Okay. I don't know. I'm gonna I ask. So. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask mine. <laughs> so normally, our next to last question is, "Would you recommend this?" And I think we kind of we've all kind of settled that we would. But my real question is, guys we've read 1800 pages of an 8,000 page epic. Are you going to read more Usagi? Well, I mean, now that, now that Penn put the idea of Usagi furries into my head, I mean, how can I resist? I'm going to just read it in a completely different context now. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to check out the, the remaining books and get through at least the dark horse stuff. And then I'm actually, I'd actually like to track down the fan graphics and see what primordial Usagi was like. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I want to see I'm, books one through seven. I, I'm really there's kind of like three eras, right? There's continuing Dark Horse, reading all the pantographics, but it's also like the modern era. There's without super spoiling anything, something I've read as I was doing my research is there is a series that Stan Sakai did called Space Usagi. The modern Usagi comics coming out today introduces Usagi's son to your earlier question. I mean, all the romantic interests are cats. So what's going on? Like there's a lot of unanswered questions, and I do wonder of like how does it hold up? How does primordial usagi hold up does modern usagi hold up i don't know yeah i don't know will the netflix usagi hold up i'm not oh wow look Oof, I'm, just, I'm worried about it yeah well i'm gonna probably just avoid it but look there is actually a space usagi action figure from the ninja turtles line in 1990 1991 i didn't know that i did have the usagi yojimbo nice. action figure however from uh ninja i think turtles. all of us did i mean I, it's, oh, yeah. I would imagine that's how all of us discovered usagi yeah, it was it was an it was it was the Ninja Turtles, and you know I, I I actually kind of thought that he was sort of in the same vein tonally as Ninja Turtles, but he's completely different. It's just a completely different. I don't know why I made that assumption. It's kind of a dumb assumption to make. Well, but but but, but even even one of the um the comic book writers who wrote a forward said that it's like there was this trend in indie comics of anthropomorphized animals in these kind of like humanistic stories. So like the Ninja yeah. Turtles, like Usagi and, and Bone. Bone was another one. Yeah, and it was like, is is this a flash in the pan sort of thing? Or is this gonna last? And everyone assumed all these things were just kind of like trends. And only a few did last. I mean, the ones that lasted sure lasted for like a hell of a long time. And not only that, they're still lasting today. <laughs> I mean, you look at Ninja Turtles, still doing that. Usaki Yojimbo, oh yeah, he's still he's still ongoing. I guess Cerebus, not so much because the guy kind of disgraced himself. And then uh, Bone, this the saga just he just ended it. So I don't know who else. I think is that's I'm the sure case with. I think that's the case with all literary trends. You know, once it it dies down as a popular thing, you have to examine like why it's specifically pertinent to your story if you're going to bring it back. And, and what sustains and why, right? Like all the yeah. all the examples we mentioned that survived the trend survive for different reasons, right? Bone had a beginning, middle and end. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles will be rebooted into infinity as IP. Usagi is a continuing epic like Cerebus. But Cerebus, the creator, got in his own way, right? 
politically, so to speak. So yeah. it, the survivors all survive in different ways, in different well, ways. Ninja Turtles obviously became like a child's a, a, a action figure line. It's like it's this big line geared for kids. And I, I kind of wonder if Netflix is trying to do the same with Usaki Yojimbo, which is a bit of a shame because, yeah, yeah, by the way, I'm just basing this off of the awful trailer. But there's so much more to Usaki Yojimbo than what the Netflix trailer seemed to promise. But I kind of do kind of wonder if they're trying to turn him into like their version of the Ninja Turtles. And then which is, which is upsetting because why not just adapt the source material faithfully? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Not, maybe not enough money in it or something like that. You got to make it everyone kind of a wisecracking kid i don't know well i mean yeah. look we should hold off judgment until we actually see it if we actually see it well the comics so Ryan, high high bar basically that, this yeah this is one of the best things i've read in a long time and i love the fact that we are barely scratching the surface of it like literally we've only read maybe 10 percent. it's fantastic so ryan i gotta ask and it's Drifting Classroom, by the way, that you're teeing up. Oh, okay, I gotta, okay. uh, and, and you don't have to do it, because if you can find where the fuck we talked about Drifting Classroom in three other episodes. I already, so Ryan, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ryan, I gotta ask. Yeah, what do you gotta ask? What are we reading next week? Well, well, not, next week... Not, what, well not what are we reading next week? Ryan, what are we airing next week? <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, uh, a few episodes ago, back, oh yeah, it was back when we read Moms with Jen Wang. You asked me that very same question what are we reading next week and i said we're reading the drifting classroom and we did read the drifting classroom we just didn't freaking post the episode because someone has a came quote along. unquote job and a life and things to do no it was it was batman batman was coming out we had to do the batman episodes and then fucking putin you know so we read the U- ukrainian and russian <laughs> notebooks then by then it was just like let's just do samurai stuff to lighten up the mood and we did ninja turtles and it became ronin we did paul pope we had to have the hundred anyway so we've we talked about drifting classroom a while ago we are gonna read all three episodes of drifting classroom i forgot how i teed it up last time it's fucked up it's kind of awesome it's sort of like 1970s japanese horror inspired jinji ito Roman's favorite thing ever. If you want to see kids being crucified and beaten up and traumatized and thrown off of buildings, then my God, Drifting Classroom is your is your book because there's a lot of dead kids in it. <laughs> that's, 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 how, that's how I'm going to cue that up. That's how I cued it up. Uh, well, Penn, thanks for becoming one of our favorite recurring guests. And we got a lot more weird shit if you want to come back, man. It's been a pleasure as always. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe. Luck. Pot luck.